Wait, what? So this happened. I'm Rachel Vallesnor, and this is the podcast Hell is Not the End, although it feels like just the beginning sometimes. Is anything really the end, though? This podcast is meant to explore the limitless possibilities of one's own soul. Why do people do bad things? Why are there countless happenings beyond understanding? Why, when we are cautioned not to do something, do we just do it anyway? The definition of curiosity, a strong desire to know or learn something. There you have it. I will curiously explore why. Hell is not the end. This week, my focus is on America's first theme park, located in Buena Park, California, just about 30 minutes away from where I grew up. This park started in the 1920s as a roadside berry stand along State Route 39. In 1934, they began selling fried chicken dinners in a tea room. Several shops and other attractions would be built to accommodate the growing visitors waiting to get a seat in the restaurant. In 1940, a replica ghost town would be constructed. The park would just continue to transform. An admission charge would be added in 1968. America's first theme park, you ask? Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm, started by innovator Walter Knott, would not only be known as our first amusement park, but next on our journey. On September 1st, 2001, 20-year-old Justine Bolia, a tourist from the Republic of the Congo, would suffer a ruptured middle cerebral artery. She would die one day after riding Montezuma's Revenge. Montezuma's Revenge is a shuttle roller coaster that opened on May 21, 1978. It was the very first flywheel launch roller coaster in the world. The oldest shuttle loop roller coaster is still in operation in its original location, and it is the last ride of its kind still operating in the United States. The ride was closed for several days in order to conduct an investigation. An autopsy report would state that she had a pre-existing condition. State investigators would conclude that the ride in no way contributed to her death. That would not stop a wrongful death lawsuit filed by her family in 2002. This lawsuit would end up being dismissed in 2006. On September 21, 2001, a 40-year-old woman fell out of a boat on the perilous plunge. She fell into the water and died of multiple injuries due to blunt force trauma. California Division of Occupational Safety and Health officials said that she somehow came out of her safety restraints, falling into a pool at the base of the structure. Perilous Plunge was a shoot-the-shoot still water ride that opened on September 15, 2000. It was a flat-bottomed boat ride that slides down a ramp or inside a flume into a lagoon. It's unlike a log flume in which it generally has much larger boats and only has one single drop. I've seen two separate reports on this incident. One simply states that she was overweight, around 300 pounds, and had loosened the restraints herself to fit more comfortably on the ride. The other report stated that both her seatbelt and her lap bar were closed, locked, and in place when the boat returned to the dock station. So which is it? I find it hard to believe it's both. Neither report contributes to the other. Enter Contradictory Corner. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. On October 30th, 1983... 18-year-old Daniel Day from Anaheim, California, was attending the Halloween haunt with his 16-year-old friend. After climbing over the rail of the gondola he was riding in on the sky jump, he would fall 200 feet to his death. This would be reported as an accident. 
Well, it was at first anyways. An autopsy report would show that he suffered a fractured skull and multiple injuries. Later reports would state that this may have been a suicide and not an accident, as they previously had thought. There is a strong possibility that this event may have been brought on due to a breakup with a girlfriend. The 16-year-old friend was riding in the gondola with Daniel when he fell, had told police that Daniel had given him his keys to his motorcycle, a key to a locker, and money to buy gas right before they got on the ride. The key to the locker would contain one item, the registration for the motorcycle. The ride was closed for investigation just to make sure that it was operating properly. Since no malfunctions were found, the ride would reopen the next day. This would mark the very first death in the park's history. On October 20th, 1996, 55-year-old George Burgess, an employee, was killed by being crushed to death by two railroad cars on the Calico Railroad ride. While performing routine maintenance, attempting to separate the two cars, an investigation would take place to determine whether the incident was due to a mechanical failure or due to human error. George had worked at the park for three years and only on the Calico Railroad. This would be the very first workplace death in the park's history. When I think about Knott's Berry Farm, obviously the log ride is first. I remember going on that ride one time after another when there were no lines, and the fact that you're not on a track just makes it that much better. Knott's Berry Farm jams are worth mentioning. Whenever I see those raspberry cookies and vending machines, I smile and think about the log ride. There is an old-timey theater named the Birdcage Theater that would have the creepiest short film or performances that went on during Halloween, notably the death of Dr. Cleaver's show, but one still haunts me till this day. I have heard many times in my lifetime about the Birdcage Theater being haunted, not just because it was replicated from the Birdcage Theater in Tombstone, Arizona, which in no doubt in my mind is absolutely haunted, but just always this haunting presence. I can't say if I've ever read anything about a haunting presence in the local news. This is just family and friends just telling me their feelings over the span of my own existence. Isn't it strange, though, that when others feel a strange haunting presence, the same one that you felt, that feeling you've never even once discussed until the moment you started to research it? No lies here. Disneyland will always be my favorite place to be, but growing up I was lucky enough to have a couple close seconds. Knott's Berry Farm was a close second. But I will tell you, nothing, and I mean nothing, holds a candle to Knott's Scary Farm. That is when the park transforms at night during the Halloween season. For like two decades, I was allowed to attend such an event and that never disappointed. I also got to see and meet Elvira. Like the Elvira on stage in person a couple times. Not that she would remember me, but so not the point. She's the absolute bomb. She is so incredibly funny and not to mention gorgeous. In person, she was as genuine as you can get. Not sure anything compares to that. I still watch Mistress of the Dark and Haunted Hills at least once a year. When a little bit of Halloween mixes in with everyday life, always count me in. So many great memories. It's always so hard to highlight just one most awesome memory. But here goes nothing. I was lucky enough to take my husband to a Not Scary Farm event. My cousin Pete went with us. He is one of my horror partners in crime. We started the night off at Mrs. Knott's Fried Chicken Dinner Restaurant, which is always the best way to start. We did my usual walk where you go straight to the Birdcage Theater, 
and then off to the haunted houses of sorts. That year, they had the coolest Freddy vs. Jason pyrotechnic stunt show. It was one of those nights where scary is just funny, and you can laugh at yourself if you did get scared. We watched this horror show where two iconic movie serial killers are trying to kill each other. It was no less than amazing. My husband is not into Halloween by any stretch, but he's a great sport. Living with me? You'd have to be. Speaking of Not Scary Farm, quite a bit of controversy surrounded one of the attractions back in 2016. It was called Fear VR, originally calling it Fear VR 5150 before its opening. 5150 is a California police code that allows a qualified officer to involuntarily detain or confine an individual that is deemed to have a mental disorder which makes him a danger to his or herself as well as others. 5150 was dropped from the name before the attraction even opened due to concerns expressed by mental health advocates. It was a virtual reality ride where riders were strapped into wheelchair-like seats and admitted into a hospital overrun by a girl who was possessed by demons. Some perceived the attraction portraying fear in a mental ward. A Knott's representative would say that the virtual reality was that of paranormal zombie-like activity in a hospital setting. Enter the Conspiracy Corner. Mental health advocates do not accept Knott's Berry Farm's defense on this matter. Instead, they believe that Fear VR stigmatizes mental illness. They believe that the park was purposely demonizing people with mental illness. The attraction opened on September 22, 2016, and closed on September 29, 2016. A statement was released basically saying that contrary to media outlets, the attraction was never intended to portray mental illness. Since the virtual host didn't portray mental illness but possession of demons, couldn't it stand to reason it was just paranormal? But what about the early name of the attraction that included the 5150? Couldn't it also imply that mental illness may have been connected at least in some small way? Was the intention to imply mental illness is to be feared? Fun fact, Walter Knott's wife's name was Cordelia. My favorite name. My hope is that no one has to live in fear, ever. As always, I will never give up and read the signs. Special thanks to all the reading materials I could get my hands on, internet mostly. Thanks to Fandom, The Prindle Post, and Wikipedia.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rachel Vallisnor, and this is the podcast, Hell is Not the End. <laughs> <laughs>